Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, I draw your attention to the verse 37, the angel Gabriel's words, For with God nothing shall be impossible. To me the important words are with God. With God nothing shall be impossible. Gabriel does not say He cannot possibly say, with me, nothing shall be impossible. He doesn't say that. Angels, there is for them so much that is impossible. Angels cannot create. Angels cannot bring about a virgin birth. Angels are powerful, but not all powerful. Still less, Gabriel can say, with you, Mary, nothing shall be impossible. Mary knows she is poor and needy. She is weak and helpless. She is powerless. And of virgin birth, she can only say, how shall this be? She knows it is not with her. The angel therefore does not say with men nothing shall be impossible but with God. With God the story is different. As the Lord Jesus Christ said the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. With him the matter is altogether different The seemingly impossible when it's put into his hands, that which is angelically and humanly impossible is done because God does it. The angel here is telling us God is almighty, even as we read in our psalm, power belongs to God. As we so often pray in our Lord's Prayer that he taught us to say, Thine is the power. And so these words are true this morning. We reflect upon them this day. With God nothing shall be impossible. Let us start by reminding ourselves of two things. Let us first of all think of the one who speaks this, Gabriel. And then secondly, let us think of the one he is telling this to, Mary. Now we could just look at the words, with God nothing is impossible. We could look at the words, we could divorce them from the whole context. We could say, who cares who said this? We could say, who cares who it's said to? The words are true. Let's just focus on the words. They're true and that's all that matters. But that's not how you treat scripture. God could have given us the proposition itself. In fact, he could have given us a whole book of propositions. Theological propositions. Theological statements. He could have given us a systematic theology of propositions. But he didn't do that. He could have divorced the Bible of story and give us thousands of 
theological propositions. A kind of a theology book. But he doesn't. He gives us story. He gives us narrative. He embeds his truth in history. His story. And he embeds it in history because history is living. History is alive. History is lives in action, needy lives. History is colourful. History is interesting. History is exciting. It's beautiful. It's always relevant. And it's so appropriate. History, his story, is our story. And that's how God conveys truth to us in his story. And that's how I like theology. I like it in story. I like it best in the Bible and not in systematic theology books. I like it in its biblical setting. Biblical theology as it unfolds in the narrative, in the story, the exciting story of redemptive history. And so we have story here not just a dull proposition, but something that meant the world to Gabriel. We have something here that meant the world to Mary, and something here that should mean the world to us. Let's start with Gabriel. I first point out that these are the last words of Gabriel. He spoke no more in the story. The last words he finishes on this for with God nothing impossible. It is the last time we read of Gabriel. Now he may have made the announcement to the shepherds but we're not told that. So these could be his last words on earth about the Lord. And certainly in this story they are his last words. He didn't say anything more. He didn't need to say anything more. He finishes on this. They are the climax for the angel. The high note on which he closes his earthly ministry. You know the saying, last words are memorable. Last words stand out. Last words should not be lost, and they never are. If we call these the last words of Gabriel, as indeed we do, does not that in itself make them stand out? Does that not give to these words some special weight? As the angel goes, with God, nothing shall be impossible This isn't a cold, lifeless proposition. This is an angel's last words on earth as he departs not to return. What does he want us to know as he goes away? With God. With God. He wants us to know that. He's come to tell us about God and he goes away telling us about God and ending speaking about his omnipotence. And then I remind you, this is not an ordinary run-of-the-mill angel. 
This is Gabriel. The angels are innumerable, we know that. They are countless, and there are so many of them, and there are many differences among them. They have different orders, different ranks, different positions, different privileges. It's a whole subject in itself. I speak of the unfallen angels, and I do want to go into all of that. Suffice to say that there are some angels who are very privileged, very powerful, very knowledgeable, and more knowledgeable than other angels, and Gabriel is one of them. He tells us something about himself, Gabriel, not in this story, but in the first story where we read of him when he comes out of the holy place to speak to Zechariah, the priest who was offering the incense. He tells us in verse 19 of this chapter, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and I'm sent to speak unto thee to show thee these glad tidings. Gabriel, you see, is among all the angels, the one who knows. One who knows God. Now, he doesn't know God completely and fully because there's no one can do that. To know God completely and fully, you have to be God. Only God knows himself. In all his being, in all his unsearchable and incomprehensible essence, it's not possible to know God in all of that way, completely and absolutely. The Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father, and the Holy Spirit knows God, and that knowledge is divine and omniscient. It takes omniscience to know God. And no angel has that. Angels are like us. They only know about God. They only know God by relationship. And they know about God by what they have learned from him in his word and providence. And we are just like that. We, the angels are the same as us in that regard. But they know far more than us. That's the thing. Gabriel is telling us of his special relationship with God. I stand in his presence. So here's one who can tell us about God's omnipotence. Who stands in the presence of God, that is, before his face. This is seen in his manifestation to Zechariah because he comes out of the holy place. God's beyond the veil. And this angel comes out of the holy place through the veil and he appears to Zechariah. He says, I stand in God's presence. I'm in there with God. So I know Zechariah. I'm not telling you fibs and lies. I'm not making it up. It's not something I've just been told either. I know with God. Now this with God and standing in the presence of God means a lot of things. For the purposes of what we're talking about this morning, it means he knows God by experience, by being in his presence. And let me emphasize this. When he says he stands in the presence of God, he is saying he's been there a very long time. Since he was man. I stand in the presence of God. I don't suppose the angels look at time the way we do. They don't worry about clocks and watches and rotations and cycles of the planet and of the moon and any of that. It doesn't mean the same to them. They're heavenly creatures. But 
One thing is sure, they have long experience of the knowledge of God. They're not new in this matter to God. We have only appeared on the planet. We're just being on a day trip in this cosmos. What do we know? We don't even know the Bible. We don't even know it inside out. We don't even know all the words of the Bible, let alone all the truths of the Bible. We know nothing by heart. We've just had a little short day, a small duration, but the angels have been around from the dawn of creation. In fact, they saw the material creation. They witnessed it. When the stars were made, the sons of God, they sang together as they witnessed it. They saw the awesome power of God as he made the earth and his man Adam. So they know a thing or two about God. And Gabriel especially knows a thing or two about God. And he wants to tell us about God. And in his last word and in his concluding word, he especially wants to relate to us his omnipotence with God. Nothing shall be impossible. He not only knows it, he's authorized to tell it because he says, I am sent to speak unto he knows he's sent to declare the word of God and he knows what he wants to declare and the last part of it, the climax, is this omnipotence. To show thee. Not just to tell thee. Not just give you a bland proposition. To show you these glad times. And so his climax is for, and we have to underline that word too, of course, for, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Gabriel knows, that's what I'm saying, and he wants you to know, and we would like to detain Gabriel, wouldn't we? Because what he tells us is really very little, and yet it's so much. It's really just the title of a book, isn't it? With God, nothing shall be impossible. Oh, how we would like to detain Gabriel. Write that book, Gabriel. Enlarge on that. Expand on that. That's just a title that cannot be proved. Absolutely speaking, who can explore this? Who can go to all the impossible things that God could do in all their detail? We don't even know what's impossible to us in all its extent. We have no idea as I said, this is a proposition that can't be proved. It can only be believed. But if there's anybody who can tell us about it, who can set about somehow proving it, and go a large way to doing that, it would be Gabriel. He's the one who can write the book. Though he even can't prove the proposition. Of God, nothing shall be impossible. It can only be believed. And Gabriel believes it. And he wants us to believe it. So this is not a theological proposition merely. This is testimony. I know Gabriel can say. I know that with God nothing is impossible. I've seen it. I've had it 
evidence before my eyes to a large extent so that this proposition is a conviction of my being. Believe me, Mary, when I tell you it with God in whose presence I stand nothing impossible. And as I said, Gabriel has been around a long time to say that. To know that when the morning stars sang together, all the sons of God shouted for joy. They saw the awesome power of God and it made them glad. And another thing about this word that Gabriel gives is that it is very practical. He sent from God to give a word, not to give a theological lecture. He sent from God to give a practical message to a poor needy soul. And so it's a practical word. He's on a mission to announce a divine work. He's not teaching catechism. He's not giving question and answer. It's not a class on catechism. No, he's announcing a divine work. A work that God wants to be accompanied with faith in Mary's heart. And so Gabriel is coming along to create faith in her heart. Something practical. That's what he's about. That's what every sermon is about. Something practical. To somehow change your life, improve your life, change your heart, to create a new faith or increase faith in you. Practical. And may it always be so from this pulpit. So Gabriel is encouraging faith and trust in God. And he wants Mary to be strong in faith. And so he teaches her about God's power as he leads. He could talk about God's grace and goodness. He has already hinted on these things. But the main thing that he's emphasizing is his power. What did he say there in verse 35? The power of the highest shall overshadow me. That's his theme. This power of God. You can see he's been very practical. Uh, Gabriel never thought he came into a classroom. He came into a woman's life. He came into the life of a virgin. Just a young girl. Just starting out in life. He came into her life for her. Something practical. She has issues. She has difficulties. She has to step out on the world stage as the virgin who expects a child. This is a workshop. And it's not Joseph's workshop of carpentry. It's Mary's workshop of her life. And he steps into the workshop of her life to change it. And that's what God's word does. It steps into our life where we need it. And it changes us. So so it's a practical word. So this is what she needs to hear. And that brings us on to consider then who he tells it to. Mary. This is the last word she hears from him. And it's the very word she needs. It's always wonderful when God gives us the very word we need. 
pray that God gives you the word every Sabbath, that it may be the very word that you need. You see, Mary has been told something, as we know. She's told that she'll conceive a virgin's conception. Without a man, Mary has responded, How shall this be? How shall this be? So Mary is believing. I have said that. I've emphasized that. She doesn't doubt it. She doesn't say, this will never be. But she says, yes, this shall be. And I want it to be so. But how? How? And he gives the answer to that. And the climax of that answer is, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Gabriel has three answers to her, her, her question. He, he says, first of all, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 35, the Holy Ghost will come upon thee, the power of the house will overshadow thee. So he says to her, it's going to be like creation, Mary. It's going to be a divine miracle. And the Holy Spirit, as he hovered over the the waters and brought forth life so the Holy Spirit will shadow over your womb and he bring this new creation in that will have no end and will continue on into eternity this new man this last Adam so it will be a creative power and then he gives a parallel example. Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived her son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was barren. And so he's giving an analogy here. Not exactly the same, he doesn't say it's exactly the same, but it's a parallel example to encourage her faith. It's miraculous too, because she's old, you know she's old. Mary, she's your cousin, you know all about her. She's past having children, but she has a son in her old age. And she's six months pregnant. That should encourage you, Mary. And then this word for. As if to attach the for to the creative power of the Holy Spirit and to the analogy of the conception in Elizabeth. For with God, nothing is impossible. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll conceive for that with God, nothing is impossible. Uh, just as with Elizabeth, six months pregnant, who's an old woman, for with God, nothing is impossible. And so he's, he's backing both of those statements that he's made with this climactic statement to which he ties it to them with the word for. And that's the word that crowns her confidence. Because she says there in verse 38, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, bear unto me according to your word. Her faith has been made perfect. Her confidence is great. And she submits herself in faith to this divine work on her. Now it is important that this word is kept in its context. Because you see there are things God cannot do. 
He cannot do things that he has not the will to do. He cannot do things contrary to his will, which is himself, his nature. He can't do anything contrary to himself. And so Paul says such things as, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. It's impossible that he would deny himself. It's impossible that he would ungod himself. It's impossible that he would do anything contrary to his nature or to his will. That's not what Gabriel is saying. It's impossible for God to lie, for example. It's impossible for God to work wickedness, work a wicked act. It's impossible for God, the Bible says, to repent. He's not a man that he should repent. God says, I'm the Lord, I change not. It's impossible for him to change. And so the angel does not mean that God can do anything and everything. Because he can't. And he won't. But what the angel means is, Whatever he wills, he does. And there's nothing impossible if he wills it. He does it. No matter what he wills, he can do it. Now, he does not will to lie. He does not will to change. He does not will to do wrong. But he wills a world out of nothing. And that's impossible for creatures. But he wills it. And it's according to his holy will. And he does it. And it's not impossible. And to me the most mind-boggling thing is that the world around us. Spoke into being by God's word alone. And he wills the conception and birth of his son. In a virgin's womb. A new cosmos of which Christ is the head and which he shall bring us into. And it shall be done. And of course Mary knows this already from the word of God, doesn't she? She knows the Bible. That's one thing about Mary. Young as she is. She knows Jeremiah, I have no doubt. And Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, behold, you've made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and there's nothing too hard for thee. And the Lord himself in the same chapter, in fact, in Jeremiah 32, says, that's right, Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? So Mary knows this. But it's nice in the Annunciation to have it repeated by an angel who stands in God's presence and who knows. So it encourages her faith, it strengthens her faith, It crowns her faith. It's the angel's last word because he doesn't have anything to say anymore because he doesn't need to say anything anymore. The word has worked. Mary says, be it unto his word as he said. As he said. It's only according to his word, you see. And never beyond his will. If he wills it, Gabriel, let it be. I know he has the power to carry it out. Let it be. And off Gabriel goes rejoicing. He doesn't have to say anything more. Praise the Lord. He's going home rejoicing. 
praising God. So it is the crown jewel of her faith, this word. It is made perfect. And all doubts, if there were any doubts, have completely gone. She believes. Now none of us are Mary. And we have much weaker faith than her. But we are her brothers and her sisters in Christ. And we believe with her. Did you believe in the virgin birth this morning? Have you made it your confession? I believe. Born of the Virgin Mary. Conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. We believe also. We have the faith of Mary. The same faith. The same conviction. We wear the same crown of faith that she wears when she says, The handmaid of the Lord be it unto me. We believe it too with you, Mary. And for the very same reason that Mary believes. We believe. And we have no doubt about it. And we don't need to be persuaded concerning the virgin birth. We believe because we know with God nothing that be impossible. Not even a virgin birth. Our faith is the same as Mary's. The world says, how can you believe in a virgin birth? Aha, aha, foolishness and folly. Sure, nature itself teaches you that it's impossible. And I answer them. Nature teaches no such thing. In fact, I hear nature teaching something altogether different from that. Even nature teaches us with God nothing shall be impossible. To me, creation cries out this very word. With God, nothing shall be impossible. I see an ordinary birth. Yes, an ordinary birth. And I say this. I see an apple on a tree. Didn't we sing the the path we tread? The country we go through. It's all around us. We see it. We hear it. God. An apple on a tree. A bunch of grapes. The pomegranate tree as we saw the the other evening. Every fruit saying, with God, nothing shall be impossible. So nature teaches me something different. I see the, the sun race across the sky and I hear this, ver- this word. The Sadducees could not believe in resurrection because they didn't know God's will, they didn't know God's word, they didn't know that God willed a resurrection, that God promised a re- resurrection. They, they, they refused to believe it. But they did not know the power of God nor the word of God. They did not know that with God nothing shall be impossible. That God will bring his will to pass because of his power. I see resurrection all around me in nature. There's nothing too hard for God. 
We need this word especially, brethren and sisters, when we come to our salvation. When it comes to the multitude of our sins and the greatness of our iniquity. When it comes to our distance from God and the question, how can I be saved? How can my sins be forgiven? And how can I overcome and persevere in the grace of God to the end? impossible impossible for the sins to be cleansed impossible for the mountain of iniquities to be removed impossible to persevere in grace to the end to make heaven at last to be raised incorruptible and pure in that day without sin no it's not impossible not with God because of the incarnation of the Son of God because of his life and death and resurrection and his position now in glory as we believe in him nothing is impossible not even the removal of all my black sins not even the taking away of the mountain of iniquity that my conscience knows is mine. No, because Christ has lived and died. And he is living proof that with God, nothing, nothing impossible. Not even the forgiveness of your sins and your resurrection from the dead unto eternal glory without any sin it's true and real in your saviour Jesus Christ so be not unbelieving but believing believing in this saviour believing in the grace of God believing in the power of God's salvation for with God nothing shall be impossible. Let us stand, please. Now unto him that is able to do, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen.